0: Amen, amen. Amen. So tonight is November 16th, 2011. Our message this evening is called Goyim, Gone Wild. Goyim is what Jews call Gentiles. It literally means nations. A goy is a nation and a goyim is nations. But it's also applied to anyone who is outside of Israel. Goyim, Gone Wild. Turn with me to Exodus 32. Tell me when you're there. Oh, that was fast, Bob. The rest of you, tell me when you're there. If you don't talk to me, I will call your name. You getting there, Nolan?
1: See, I will call your name.
0: In Exodus 32, we are going to pick up in the fifth verse. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to who? The Lord. To the Lord. What an amazing situation. We have a golden calf. Yeah. We have the man of God on a mountain meeting with God. Another man of God at the base of the mountain with a golden calf. And he said, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. You know, and the reason I called this message Goyim gone wild, these people are not Goyim, they're Jews. And we have a way of looking at stories in the Bible and going, oh, that is real. I mean, those guys were really messed up. Without ever realizing that we do the same thing and worse despite having their example. You know, anytime time that we say we belong to the Lord, but the evidence says the opposite, this pastor is just going to go ahead and call, oh, you're not going to like this, B.S. Now, if you're new here, you might not know what B.S. means. <laughs> Because when we say BS, the world means one thing, but I mean something else. When Samuel was dealing with Saul, Samuel told Saul, Hey, I want you to go kill Agag. I want you to kill everything he has. Don't leave anything living. And in the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, and in the 14th verse, Saul said, I did. I killed them all. And Samuel said, Then what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? I call BS. Bleeding? Of sheep, See, what happens is, we say we're having festivals to the Lord, but in reality, what they tend to be are something that just glorifies whatever idolatrous thing we want. In high school, we had fellowship of Christian athlete meetings. Do y'all know? Have y'all seen those? Well, maybe yours were better than mine. But there were no Christians in our meeting. So it would be hard to have fellowship of Christian athletes meetings with no Christians. Instead, we had to rename it. Fellowship of carnal Athletes. That was more accurate. See, we could get together and eat pizza with the best of them. We could get together and have a scripture as a banner over us that was not applicable in any way to our own lives. Do you feel me yet? See, the church world has learned to say all of the right things and do none of them. In Matthew 21, do you remember that we have two kinds of sons? We have one son who father says, Go work in the vineyard. And the son says, no, but later it does go. We have a second son who says, I will, Daddy, I'll go. But he never does. And Jesus asks the question, which one of these sons do you think did his father's will? Well, everybody got the right answer, the first one. Friends, we are not the first son too often. First off, we all agree with our mouths. We lay claim to heaven. We say, hey, we are God's people. But then we don't do what he tells us to do. Let's just take the Great Commission, for example. It's a rare thing when we have someone that can give a testimony that says, my entire family is dedicated to taking the gospel to the rest of the world. That's a rare thing. We have special missions offerings, as if a mission offering is a special event. The reality is it's the normal Christian life. Yeah. The first son said he wouldn't do it, But then his deeds showed that he did. I would submit to you that what was happening in ancient Israel may have been in front of a golden calf and ours might be in front of a golden glowing TV set. Ours might be in front of any other form of entertainment and distraction. We say that everything we have belongs to the Lord and we use none of it in his service. How does that work? I don't think it works well. Which takes us to Exodus 32 verse 25. This was the situation. People who were saying something was for the Lord, but it was not. Here comes the 25th verse. Moshe, Moses, saw that the people were running wild. And that Aaron had let them get out of control. So, become a laughing stock to their enemies. What an interesting phrase. The Bible says they were running wild. In Hebrew, this word is para. Para means... In our vernacular, letting it all hang out. Right? You ever met somebody prim and proper? I mean, it's a big thing for them to undo their top button. Like you knew it was business time when the, un, when the button came off up there, right? To loosen that tie and uh, uh-oh. We're about to see an athletic event happen. <laughs> King James says they were naked. They weren't naked, friends. King James, among many other things, he did not get right or his translators didn't. They weren't running around naked. They were running around without restraint of any kind. So that what was deposited in their heart was starting to manifest in every way. You want to see this scenario? It might not be a Go Gone Wild video. It might be a Mardi Gras video. It might be a football video. It might be all kinds of things. Anywhere you get people together in sufficient numbers so that they feel anonymous, strange things happen. And when you get people in such small numbers that they feel isolated like nobody can get to me, like a car on the highway, oh, you'll see an 80-year-old woman give you a one-finger salute. Yeah, because whatever a person has put inside of their heart, God will put you in the situation where it comes out. And these people are now in a situation where the Bible says they're running wild. They're out of control. Hmm? What a crazy situation. And what did that make them to their enemy? A laughing, stock. a laughing stock. Has this only happened to Israel? I was at a promise keeper's meeting in, in 1993. There were 50,000 Christians. Doesn't that sound good? Now 50,000 Christian men. Men say, yeah. 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 Come on now. 50,000 Christian men. Yeah. 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 God stands at the microphone and he says, I want to let you all know, there has been... A storm with tornadoes possibly in it and a warning because it's headed this way. Let's pray and God will turn the storm away. So far so good, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is before he finished praying, had not said amen yet, one of the towers fell and he yelled, Everybody run! (laughs) That's not a joke. That happened in Denton, Texas in 93 or 94. I looked up, and there were only two stupid people still in the stadium, and it was Matthew and I, and that's because when everybody else left, <laughs> when everybody else left, the football field that was there and covered with tarps was a lot like a big slip and slide. <laughs> I couldn't figure out where the danger was. One of the two towers had already fallen. Everybody run. We got 50,000 Christian men together, and we did not have enough power with 50,000 Christian men to stand against one storm. But one man truly filled with the Spirit of God can command the heavens to shut up or to produce fire. Yeah. How does that work? Well, it happens when we're running wild, yeah. when we're out of control, when we become a laughing stock, but calling ourselves heroes, everyone. In fact, friend, you're a champion. I want to barf. How could you say that? What about looking out at the masses says, oh, you are a champion for God. When we have champions for God, they're men who turn their nations around. They're men who grabbed hold of heaven and the kingdom of God came to the earth. That is what it is to be a champion. When you see that, repentance precedes the power. Great changes in the people. You know who's a champion? John the Baptist is a champion. But he wouldn't be called the champion today because nobody liked him. I mean, who who wants a ministry that lasts six months and you get your head cut off, right? (laughs) Maybe that's not God's best for you, brother. Come on now. What is God's best for me? I would say to risk it all. Amen. I say God's best for me is that my life is in His hands. And I think it's that serious, friends. I want you to hear what God's answer is because it's the same answer for the crazy goyim gone wild. These, these, my brothers, are Hebrews. And they were God's people and God gave them an answer. But their lives are examples for us. And when we find ourselves in the same situation, running wild, out of control, a laughing stock for the enemy... God gives us the same answer as he gave them. Praise God. Anybody here got an older brother? How about that? <clears throat> see, the cool thing about having an older brother, especially, I mean, an older sibling of any kind, but an older brother is what works best. If you see an older brother do something, and dad takes off that belt and wears him out, it's like a mental note. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> the nation of Israel has become like an older brother. They go first. Salvation is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And the idea is we learn from the example that was set, and we become part of them, sharing the same faith. It's an amazing thing that the church today has no regard for Israel, but of course that happens when you have not read the book that Israel gave us. Yeah. When you haven't read the book, then you have no idea why Israel is important. As one, twenty-two. Year member, founding member of a Baptist church said, what is a Jew anyway? Good businessman? Yeah. If his ignorance was not so laughable, it would be insulting. Would it not? But he could probably quote the doctrinal statement of his church. Yeah. Maybe even the Roman road to salvation, but he has not read or comprehended the word. Would you all like to know the answer for running wild? Yeah. The Lord asks a question. He walks out where people are running wild They're out of control. The enemy is laughing at them and he asks one question. Who is for the Lord? Do you hear that? Verse 26. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Who or whoever is for the Lord? Before we move on from that statement, this is a great question. When everybody who claims to God's people is each one doing whatever seems best in his eyes. Say, well... Hey, brother, what do y'all do? Well, in my church, we do that. So y'all do that? In our denomination, we don't have to do any of that. I want to go be there. And you get to drink too? Are you kidding? Right? We shop for denominations like we shop for food. We shop for an interpretation that seems best to us as if Scripture was a matter of personal interpretation instead of a matter of truth. When we're in a situation where you can't tell who God's people are because they're out of control. When we're in a situation where the enemy is literally laughing at those who are called to be princes with God. Some man of God has to stand up and say, who belongs to the Lord here? This puts people in a situation where they get to make a choice. Now it's an interesting one because with the Lord, there's no such thing as simply saying you belong to him. Because faith without deeds, James said, is dead. It's useless. We have a nation full of talkers. We need a nation full of doers. So the first thing that happens is we say, who is for the Lord? And then listen to what he says first. If you're running wild, he says, who is for the Lord? Come to me. I want to tell you that the cure for running wild is to get closer to Jesus. He will correct you. He will take you and say, I'm going to reign you in. If you will listen to me, I'm the best Lord there has ever been and I'm the only one worthy of worship. Listen, son, that's why they call me King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Your way is no longer your own. Your life is no longer your own. This is when you get that revelation where Jesus is saying literally to you, if you hang on to your life, you're going to die. If you give me your life, I will give you life. Yeah. This is that moment where we come to Him. Now, I want to tell you, doesn't matter how much you call yourself a person of God, if He is not directing the affairs of your life, you're a liar. I don't say that. The Scriptures, well, actually I am, I'm going to say it to 1 <laughs> John says, if we say we have fellowship with the Father and walk in darkness, we lie. Yeah. Anybody like that word? No. I mean, would you like a liar coming across your forehead? I'm I'm getting to the place where uh, I don't like broccoli, okay? I I also don't like cauliflower. I don't like beans, right? And so if you make me a plate of cauliflower, broccoli, and beans, it's possible for me to eat it. But I'm not going to like it. It's going to make me a little nauseous. I'm at the place where every time I hear somebody with this little mealy-mouthed, panty waisted kind of attitude that says, well, the Lord knows my heart, I feel like I just ate a plate of broccoli, (laughs)
1: cauliflower, and
0: beans. The question is not, does the Lord know your heart, friends? The question is, do you know His heart? Have you come to Him? Do you know what He wants of you? Do you know why you're here? Are you just running wild, completely out of control? Oh, He's Lord. I haven't talked to Him in 10 years, but He's Lord. (laughs) Or I talk to Him all the time. I say, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. (laughs) How does that work? Well, the Lord knows my heart. And then what do we pray? We pray the most cowardice prayer in history. Lord, your will be done because I got no idea what it is. How is that a relationship? The Lord knows me. I don't know him. The Lord, you do your will because I don't know what it is. That is not Christianity. And you can find it in almost any pulpit in America. That is not Christianity. The cure for running wild, number one, is coming to Him. This is the beginning of finding out who belongs to Jesus. And you cannot claim that you are in Jesus if you don't look anything like Him, act anything like Him, walk anything like Him. You can all say you're Christians, and I'm going to go, we'll see. So, well, you know, you don't understand, Eric, when I was eight,
1: <laughs> when I was
0: two, I used to fill my diapers. Does that impress you? <laughs> Does that have a great deal of bearing on what I'm doing today? Think about that. Well, how do you know you're saved? Because when I was eight, I walked an aisle, I got baptized. I have lived like the devil himself since then, but I know I'm saved. It's, It's like arguing with a drunk person. You don't know when you're drunk and you don't seem to know when you're deceived. If you look around your life, And it's tohu vavohu, wild and waste. It's parah. It's letting it all hang out everywhere. You are more expressive on Facebook than you are in any personal relationship. If your life is running wild and out of control, the Lord says, first of all, come to me. That answer's been the same from the beginning. What did he tell the disciples? Come, follow me. They didn't sit and debate it. They didn't sit around and get second chances. They either followed Him or did not follow Him. And we know about the ones who did. You know who you don't know about? How many boats did He stop at before Peter and John's? How many tax collector's booths did He stop at before Matthew's? I have no idea, but I know the ones that answered the call. I don't know how many people in this nation say they're Christians, but I know on that day the only ones that will be with Him are the ones that answered the call. See, it doesn't matter. Masses follow Jesus. Masses turned away from Jesus. It was just 120 in an upper room after the resurrection. We fed 6,000 at a time because we have festivals to the Lord that are really for ourselves. Yeah, come on now. If that's not preaching, you're not listening. So lie to me. Tell me that's preaching. Come Come on. Out of control. The cure for running wild is coming to him. Listen to the cure for out of control. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man, strap a sword to his side. If your life is running wild, the Lord says, come to me. If your life is out of control, he says, hey boy, put your sword on. You're here for a purpose. Your sword is in your hands right now, friends, unless, of course, you have an electronic version, and you need to get rid of that and get a Bible. Do you hear me? Get a Bible. If you can't afford one, I will buy it for you. Come see me tonight. Get a Bible. This way you can have a relationship with it. You can begin to see where things are on the page. Your notes from the trials in your life where God came through for you should be in it. You should love it and have a relationship with it because it is the Word of God. You'll never convince me you're doing that on an electronic version. Your life is out of control. He says, come here. Strap my Word to you. It is a weapon. It will cut off everything from you that should not be there. It will separate your thought from the motives behind your thought. It will separate your soul from your spirit. Strap my word to you. You show me people who are out of control, I will show you people that don't know the word. But they say the same ridiculous thing that they say about their own hearts. Oh, yeah, I mean, I know what's in the word of God. Really? Would you like to quote to me 2 Samuel 10:9? I did that the other night. A couple people went and looked it up and were shocked at what they found in it. Like, tell me what's in Ezekiel 23? Hmm? I guarantee you hadn't read Song of Songs because if you had, you'd ask me. I'm your pastor. You'd ask me. You'd be curious. You'd want to know. Do you understand what I'm telling you? What I'm trying to say is that we have a way of saying we belong to the Lord, but we're not near Him. We have a way of saying, oh, I know what the word says, because you've heard bits and pieces of it all of your life, but you have never engaged the text all the way through in a meaningful way in a short period of time, absorbing it. Most people read the Bible a little bit like you read the manual for your VCR. When something's broken in your life, you look in the index and try to turn to the page that addresses that problem. The Bible is not that way. It is not that way. It is something that is living and active. You interact with it every day. And what happens is, in your daily interaction, it begins to speak to you about your life. Your life is out of control. Strap a sword to your side. Go back and forth through the camp, one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Oh my goodness, Eric, don't you know don't you know that our struggle's not against flesh and blood? Yes, I've read the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Did you know that's where it was? Good for you. In what way could this help us? When the enemy has made you a laughingstock, your sword to your side, and then you begin to go use the sword. You begin to speak the word to your brother. You speak the word to your neighbor, to your closest friend. And the more you do this, the more the enemy will stop laughing at you and begin fearing you. Because you will, for the first time in your life, have the potential to be what God called you to be, an agent of change on the planet. Somebody who is a repairer of broken walls. Say, well, it says kill the brother. I told you you had to lose your life if you wanted to find it. Your brother cannot exist like he is and live for an eternity. Your neighbor cannot exist like he is and live for an eternity. Your closest friend cannot live. The Bible says they are enemies and hostile to God. doesn't say I was a pretty good old boy and one day the old lady wanted to go to church so I, I thought hey I'll be a pretty good man now." I, I want Jesus. That's not salvation. You take more effort in picking out your deer stand. What kind of cracked corn you're going to put in your feeder than you do about Jesus. To you it's just saying uh huh When somebody quotes to you a gospel statement, that is not salvation. Salvation is when the word of God slayed you. The man that used to exist no longer exists, and you are a new creation because the word of God crucified you. It proved you an enemy of God. It nailed you to a cross with Jesus, and you said, never again, I'm a new man. This is what it means. You want a cure for the world that is running out of control, just every way wild, out of control, enemies laughing? You get close to Jesus. You put his word on your side. And friends, you go to work with that word. If your own mama doesn't know you've been born again, you're not. Is so-and-so a Christian? Well, I hope so. I kind of think they were. Next, you'd be asking me to lie at his funeral. You know, I get more requests for weddings for people I don't know and funerals for people I've never had a relationship. I have the same question for everybody. Where's the pastor? <clears throat> well, see, he was a Christian, but I will do the funeral, but I will tell the truth. Are you sure you want me to do the funeral?
1: <laughs>
0: sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Amazing thing happens when people are staring at a box that their loved one's in, though. And you tell them, this is not a day for deciding his fate. That one's sealed. But it is a day for deciding your fate. Would you like to make this a moment in time where your life changed? Or would you like to add tragedy to tragedy? Amazing things happen. Some want to hit you. Some want to hug you. And that's exactly what the gospel is supposed to do. It's supposed to move you from cold to hot, but never leave you in between. Friends, are you somewhere in between? Could your life be classified as a raging fire for Jesus?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, no, but it couldn't be classified as ice cold. Well, good, you made it into the vomit category. (laughs) (laughs) This is just the hardcore gospel. It is. And we're one of those remnant churches that could feel good about ourselves because when compared with them, I mean, we look pretty good. The problem is we're not to be compared with them. We're to be compared with him. Have you come near him? Is his word a part of your side the way that Eve and Adam were part of each other's side? Are you married to it? Is it a part of you? Do you wake up with it? Do you go to bed with it? Do you long for it? People thought it was funny. I mourned like I lost a child when I lost that first Bible. How many of you were here? You saw that. I still could cry if I think about it too much because I love the Word. Well, it's printed in this new one. Actually, this Bible number three. This one didn't get stolen in the truck. Praise God. But it's not quite the same. It's the Word and I'm excited but I feel like we're on our first few dates again. And I, got, I got to get to know it. Mm-hmm. i got to know which way you lean your head. i got to know who steps first when you dance. All of those things. I'm developing a relationship with that book. My relationship with him is sound. But you know what? I can't always see him. I can't always touch him. But I can read his word and I know what he is like. Amen. Come on now. Amen. How many of you touched Jesus today? Well, you're supposed to be holding the constitution of Jesus in your laps. It's not out of your reach so that you have to go into heaven and get it. It's not down in the depths so that you can say, how can I get it? He put it near you. What are you doing with it? Is it strapped to your side? Are you running out of control? Mm. Come on now. This will change your life. I heard message after message after message after message. I did abominable things in churches, if I'm just going to be honest. I did things that I could not even tell you about because I'm ashamed. And the Bible says, don't mention those deeds done in darkness. But when the word slayed me, when it penetrated my heart, it changed me into a different man. That's the one that's been carrying on in the kingdom for these last 18 years. And I pray it's the one that is spurring you on. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons, brothers, and He has blessed you this day. Friends, when you are distinct enough from the world, when you are distinct enough from the members of your own family, that the Lord could say, I see a difference. You stood for me against the Spirit that is in them. Then you can call yourself blessed. But the fact that we... Say, God bless America, does not make you blessed. The fact that we may have more material things does not make you blessed. In fact, what makes you blessed? Well, Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile and persecute you. How many of you are blessed now? See... We've been throwing our own party and calling it the Lord's. And I'm saying it's time for the goyim to stop going wild. We've been running out of his control, but claiming that he's our Lord. And I'm saying it's time to strap his word to your side. Our enemies have been laughing at us. And I'm saying, pick up your sword. Well, I don't know what to do with it. Go to your friend, go to your neighbor. Go to your closest relatives. Start with the members of your own household. And let's spread it from there. Are y'all done or would y'all like some more? Are you sure? Because you don't know what I have to give. If all you got was what you just heard, would that be good? All right, so what you're going to get is better, right? All right, well, I mean, I just wanted to make sure that if I'm going to spend time preaching that you want it. Is that fair enough? Okay, let's do this then. Turn to number sixteen. There. 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 It's an interesting thing. Numbers is the book of Bemidbar. It's while in the desert. Now, the people of God in the desert, well, we're supposed to be following his encampment every day. Our life is supposed to be entirely dependent on how closely we follow him. If we straggle, the Amalekites are hacking away at us from behind. If we get out ahead of him, there is no water, there is no manna. Our whole life is dependent on how closely we follow him. Are we in the desert? Yes, we're in the desert. The problem is we don't know it. We think we're in the oasis. We think we've arrived. In fact, we think that we're pretty well in our best life right now. Number 16. Look at the first verse. Korah, son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and Om, son of Peleth, became insolent. Now the only time your name was mentioned in the Bible, (laughs) that's what was with it. How happy would you be? Would you be like, Oh, praise God! I don't care as long as my name's in the book! Yeah, but you don't know what it says about you. (laughs) I don't care what happens when I get there, even if I'm a doorkeeper in heaven, you don't belong. Let me just tell you. If your attitude is, I want the minimum, then you don't belong in the kingdom. The kingdom is not made up of people who said, I just want to skim. That's not what it means to lose your life. Own's name is in the book. O-N. On. His name's in the book, isn't it? But what does it say about him? He was insolent. Now that's bad, isn't it? Korah, Abiram, Dathan, their names are in the book too. What's it say about them? Insolent. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram's names are in the book a whole bunch of times. You know whose name is only there once? Om. That's an interesting thing. Let's skim down just a bit. What does this say in verse 5? Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning, Yahweh, the Lord, will show who belongs to him and who is holy. Sounds like there's going to be a showdown tomorrow. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and who? Om. Om. We don't have time to teach it tonight, and I don't think we need to. But that's four men, is it not? Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and Om. I'd like to tell you that the next day, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram showed up, and their followers showed up, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, and they went alive into hell. You know why? The Lord said, I'm going to show everybody who belongs to me. You know who was not listed with them? Om. I'm suggesting that Om became insolent. That Om fell right in with those other three characters. Then he said, that's right! Who is this Moses? I mean, hadn't God spoken to us too after all? I mean, there's lots of Levites. I'm suggesting that he was a catalyst in the rebellion just like they were. But when Moses said, tomorrow let's meet because... I'm gonna show you who's the Lord. Ohm said, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm gonna turn around now. So he didn't get swallowed alive. You know who else didn't? Y'all turn to Psalm 46. What is your title to Psalm 46, 7? Say it loud, Brandon. But the,
1: sons of Korah.
0: the sons of who?
1: Korah.
0: Korah. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though... What's that phrase say?
1: <laughs>
0: we will not fear though the earth open up its mouth and Because they learned the value of what it was to come near to God, to strap his word to their side, to not be out of control, but instead to be separated for the Lord. So even if dad was going to hell, you know what the sons of Korah said? I ain't going with him. We need to make like on and get out of here. own read the writing on the wall and said I don't want to go to hell unfortunately many others were deceived enough to say we're following, we're doing right it's a festival to the Lord you know Mm. while the earth was eating them do you think that preaches today? how many people need to make like Mm own how many people need to turn around and say I was insolent but I'm not going to be anymore Friends, you might even say you need to get on with your life. You're allowed to make cheesy jokes when you're a pastor, Brandon. That's just how it works, you know. Moving on. Moving on. Turn with me to Isaiah 59. Let's see if we can strike a somber note because, you know, it's been so lighthearted up to now. In Isaiah 59, scan down, find verse 17. What I wanted to show you was the situation then is the same as now. We have our pagan festivals, we just call them the Lord's. The situation is the same then as now. We say we're doing the Lord and the Lord is saying bleeding sheep. The situation is the same then as now. God has gone out and said, who is for me? Because what he sees is people running wild, out of control, a laughingstock before the enemy. And he says, come near me. Strap your sword on your side and go to work. Now what we're going to find out is that if you don't do what On did, there is a reward coming for those who love him. But there is retribution coming for those who, who do not. Verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, men will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. For he will come like a pent up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. That he is the Messiah, friends. Have you ever wondered why sometimes the Bible says the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and other times it says the glorious day of the Lord? When He comes, there will be a reward for those who separated themselves. Those who had His Word on their side and used it. There will be retribution for those who simply were running wild, out of control, a stock to the enemy. There will be a separation of sheep and goats. And the living God will not spare those who looked like His children but did not act like Him. He will not spare them. Oh, I've always been a pretty good old boy. The Bible says you are an enemy of God if you are not sold out for Him. The devilish idea that you can belong to Him and not be sold out for Him is crazy. Found nowhere in the Bible. You show me the Scripture that says I can be half-hearted. I can be lukewarm. I can be a nominal Christian. I can be a membership-only Christian and be saved. And I will kiss the soles of your feet in front of the whole church. But I can tell you, two things are not going to happen. You are not going to be able to show me that, and I am not going to kiss you. <laughs> you know why? I've read that word. I know it's not there. That's right. The Lord knows my heart, but do you know His yeah. heart? He is coming with a reward for His and retribution for those that are not His. Look at Romans 2. What, did you all decide not to turn to Romans 2 or your pages stop making noises? In Romans 2, check out the fifth verse. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. The book of Romans, written to unbelievers? No. No. Are you sure? Yes. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Definitely not unbelievers. To those who are called to be saints. He said this. You're storing up wrath for yourself. I was told by a car salesman yesterday that he had grown up in the church and there was just entirely too much preaching on sin and hell. Do I have to tell you where he goes to church now? <laughs> But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what He has done. It's almost like Paul had read Isaiah. He must not have seen it as old and irrelevant, huh? To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Who does he give eternal life to? Those who persistently are doing good. Well, God knows what's in my heart. Do you? Do you know what's in your heart? Does your heart drive you to do consistently that which is good, glorious, immortal? Does it drive you to do? Well, I've always tried to do what's right. Good. That'll send you straight to heaven. How many times did Proverbs say there's a way that seems right unto man in the end it leads to destruction? Yes. Of course, if you come near Him and His word strapped to you, His word and His presence will show you what you should do. And it will so change and form your heart that that will be the driving force in it and that's all you want to do. And daily you will work it out with fear and trembling because you know God cannot be mocked. And Ezekiel 18 says, if a righteous man turns from his righteous ways and does wicked things, the righteous things that he did will not be remembered. But we say, no, Ezekiel, you were wrong. Hmm. We're right. Because we like doctrine. And what makes us feel good is to say, once you got this, you can't let it go. Like God's hand is a prison. And like he can be mocked and fooled and made fun of. Friends, even if you are faithless, He will be faithful to His Word. He's going to do exactly what He said He would do. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, that doesn't sound so bad, I mean, we have to look out for ourselves, don't we? To those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil. I didn't do anything evil. Were you doing the good that God told you to do? If you're not doing the good that God told you to do, James 4.17 says, you are sinning. The fact that you don't think it's evil doesn't mean that it is not evil. You know the best way for you to redefine evil? is anything that is not directed from God because you are incapable of doing anything right. If He does not show you, if He does not empower you, then what you're doing is evil. You know what proved that? Wow. It looks good. I mean, it seems good for food. It's desirable for gaining wisdom. God said, Hmm. evil, you'll die. Wow.
1: That
0: was the first man and woman, friends. And it hasn't changed, no matter how many of us there's been. We do not choose for ourselves well what is good and evil. So we strap his word to our side. We come near him and it shows us. We put it to work constantly and that hymns us in because when you tell your friend, when you tell your mom, your dad, your neighbor, you know they're the very first ones to go, liar, hypocrite. That's not, you said yesterday this and that. And you know what? We hate it. We avoid it. And you need it. You need it. The best thing that could ever happen to you is people call you out when you're acting like a hypocrite. Yeah. They should call you out. And you say, but who are they? Well, they're just the tool that God's using at the moment. You want to be right or you want to be righteous? You can rarely be both. We often don't witness very much because we're scared it'll get turned around on us. You should invite it being turned around on. One of the elders is going to bring a word very soon. Could you say, follow me as I follow Christ? Could you really say that? Because that's the standard in the Bible, friends. This is what men of God do. They say, you watch my life. Examine it. You follow Jesus like I do. And if you don't have confidence to say that, you might not be doing anything other than running wild. You might be out of control. Your enemy really might be laughing at you because you claim to be a saint and live more like a sinner. Those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow Eber, there will be wrath and anger. (laughs) Wrath and anger. He wrote this to believers. Now, when you're sitting here thinking, why did I tell him we wanted to extend this message? Remember, you asked for this. That's why we're preaching. You asked for it. (laughs) Read a Psalm 58. We all know what's in the Bible, right? God is love. God is love. Yellow <laughs> puff prophets. <laughs> it's like you forgot what a man is. Yes. God made a man in His image. When you picture Adam in all of his glory, does he go? <laughs> Oh, God is love. Is <laughs> that so how you picture Adam? I mean, his job to subdue the earth, but he says, God is love. <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? One of the real problems that I had with Christianity, if I'm just honest, mm-hmm. while I was a completely carnal Neanderthal, was they did not look like men to me. Yeah. That's just the truth. I'd only grown up with one image of a pastor. He dressed a certain way. He talked a certain way. He had a certain haircut.
1: <laughs>
0: and they did not act like regular men. I couldn't picture them driving a nail. I couldn't picture them cutting a two-by-four. You know, I, I just couldn't relate to it. But then I strapped His Word to my side, and I read what the men in the Bible were like. And I went... You're nothing like them. You never wore a suit in your life. You didn't automatically have to talk in a strange octave. You might even have calluses on your hands. My God, they were regular men who did extraordinary things. Are you in Psalm 58? Yeah. Look at verse 6. Break the teeth in their mouths, O oh God. There's a prayer, huh? Let's put that one on the wall right next to Jesus. Well, why not? It's Bible. Break the teeth in their mouths, O oh God. Tear out, O oh Lord, the fangs of the lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted. Like a slug melting away as it moves along. Like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. Why don't we put that on the wall? This is David. David, the man with the heart after God, right? God is love. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns Whether they be green or dry The wicked will be swept away The righteous will be glad when they are avenged When they bathe their feet In the blood of the wicked Then men will say Surely the righteous still are rewarded Surely there is a God Who judges the earth When will people say Surely there is a God who judges the earth And the righteous are rewarded well, that's going to be a different kind of pedicure. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't exactly know how that fits into the plan. But I know when he comes, there's a reward for those that are his. And there is retribution for those who are not his. And if I had the choice between somebody bathing their feet in my blood. Or getting that unusual pedicure. (laughs) I think I know what side I want to be on. God is love. Are you kidding? In the garden, he looked right at the power behind that snake and said, he's going to crush your head. Does that sound like, oh, God is love? Why did that serpent do that? That was just how God's best for him, you know? Mm. That is not Bible, friends. It never has been. Jesus offended everybody because the word of God was separate because the people of God were called to be separated. Somehow or another, we've got the idea that we're supposed to get along with everybody. Everybody's supposed to love us. The Bible says, woe to you when all men think well of you. If you're not the most controversial member in your family, I'm worried. I'm worried. Because that means whoever the alcoholic is in your family is outshining you but for the wrong team. Some people in my family are drawn to me, right? Like, you'll see, Thanksgiving or wherever it is, I can't get away from them. And that's a good thing. They know there's something there they want. Others would never come within 100 feet of me. That is a good thing, friends. You know, the Levites had to go out and kill their own families because they valued the Lord's Word worth more than any else. And God made them the Levites because of it. And you're a nation of priests, everyone. Do you feel the same way about your families? Jesus said if you don't hate your mother and uh, father and, and siblings, I'm sorry, I'm not quoting that quite right, members of your own family, you're not worthy of them. So, well, Lord, do you want me to hate him? This was because the Jewish teaching in the day is your love for your rabbi should make your love for your parents look like hate because your parents brought you into this world, but your rabbi will show you how to get into the next. And Jesus knew that. He was saying, what I'm telling you is the ultimate. Nothing comes anywhere near it. That word has not changed. It's not optional. Turn with me to Psalm 149. We'll get close to wrapping this up now. Thank you for not applauding that statement. There. Have I bored you, though? No. No. Yeah. You already knew all this. There was no reason to be here tonight, right? I mean, all of you were laying in bed last night, going, "Let me think of a biblical prayer." Oh yes. Break the teeth out of their mouths. (laughs) Pull the fangs of those lions. Let me bathe my feet in their blood. That's what you were thinking? I didn't even read you crushed their hairy crowns and all those things. Except. That's what you were... Uh, last night, when you just couldn't sleep, nodding off in the wee hours of the night, you thought, no, He was only mentioned once in the Bible. Why was that? Probably not, huh? See, my job is to provoke you, is to stomp on you, is to push you, is to shake you, it is to rattle you in the hopes that you will do something different tomorrow than you did today. He said, well, Eric, I don't know. I'm doing all right now. Well, if you haven't attained the whole measure of Christ, then I'm not through with you, and neither is he yet. So man up. There is no place to coast. You will never get to a place in your relationship with me, and this is because you never get into a place in your relationship with him where I say, we're okay, we're just going to leave it alone. I would serve absolutely no purpose in that kind of world. The kingdom says, the apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists are here to prepare you for works of service. Until we have all, everyone, reached the full measure, that means you're not okay. So when you come and say, hey man, I kind of felt like you were talking to me, yes, I am talking to you. Hear me. I'm talking to you, Larissa. I'm talking to you, Brandon. I'm talking to you, Darren. I'm talking to you, Patricia. I am speaking personally about you. Is that clear enough? Amen. Oh yeah. Because every one of us should be a little bit rattled with this kind of word. And in order to make you reach, go, the sword's not as close to my side as I thought it was. In order to make you go, wait, wait, where is Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Lord. Hold on, watch. Yeah, right where you called me. It hard to make you think about who today you could go. With. Before tomorrow's over, I will speak to this person about the gospel. I'm gonna hem myself in. You know, it's easiest when you first meet people. I like to walk up and say, hey, Amen! I am in love with Jesus. How about you? At least right away we both know where each other stands. <laughs> you on Psalm 149? Yeah. Yes. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And if we stop there, everybody go, Oh, yeah, man, that's good, of course. This is what we hear. This is what's preached. This is, that's it. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory. Of all his saints. I'm not sure where that fits in your theology. But the Lord is returning. And when he does, there's a reward for those who belong to him. There's retribution for those who don't. Are you his body? So when Romans 16, 20 says, Satan will soon be crushed under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's because you're his body. Well, if he's going to go out and subdue the nations, how do you think he does it? If there's a sentence written against them, how do you think he carries it out? I'm not going to teach any times tonight. It's just not worth doing. But let's just venture to say that maybe Psalm 149 is true. If you can't stand up to them now, you won't be worthy of standing up to them then. Isn't that a fair thought? It's the glory of the saints to be on God's team. There is no middle ground. There is cold, there is hot, and there is puke. Cold, hot. Yeah, you don't have to say the word, but I bet you heard it between your ears just then, didn't you? So two of the three options are wholly unacceptable. Yeah? Cold, hot. There's only one of those categories I want to be in. So I want my life to be on fire. Matthew, come up here. Y'all turn to 2 Timothy. We will be in the fourth chapter. These will be our closing thoughts. We will end our worship service tonight in the psalm. This does not mean close your Bible. It does not mean close your ears. It does not mean close your hearts. You know, we wouldn't have to circumcise ears if they weren't already closed. Fourth chapter. In the presence of God. And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. There are three criteria by which Paul said to Timothy, I'm about to give you a charge. The first one was by the criteria of his presence, which is the judgment, friends. There's a day when the sky itself and earth, Revelation 20 speaks about it will melt away in the presence of God and all that will be left is you standing there. The second criteria was his appearing. There's a reward coming at his appearing for those that are his. There's retribution for those that aren't. Before Paul told Timothy this charge, in the last months of Paul's life, he said, I want you first to think about the judgment that's going to happen in his presence. I want you second to think about his returning and the reward or retribution that will occur. And the third thing he said is, and his kingdom. Revelation 11:15 speaks about his kingdom enveloping the whole world. Luke 22 told these kind of men that would sit on 12 thrones in the kingdom. That thing that we have hoped for, that goal, will soon be a reality. There will be kings enforcing the kingdom rule on the earth, having the power to stop rain or deliver rain, having the power to put down rebellion and force people who have weapons to make plowshares. It will be a literal, real kingdom. Will you be in it or out of it? Will you be cold, hot, or puke. Now, that's worth thinking about, isn't it? Because Paul told Timothy, I want you to think about that judgment. I want you to think about that reward. I want you to think about that reality. And then he gave him a charge. That charge could be summarized like this. Preach the word, whether you feel like it or don't feel like it. Correct and rebuke. Encourage. Keep your head Endure hardship, work like an evangelist, and don't stop till all of your duties are complete. I don't think Paul's word to Timothy would be any different than Paul's word to you tonight. I don't know where you've been with this, but I suspect that like so many, there are parts of your life that are running wild. feel like you've been just a little bit out of control, out of his Control, maybe perfectly within your own. I think the enemy laughs because we've made ourselves liable to destruction. And there is only one solution. Drop what you're doing. Lay it aside. Run to the feet of Jesus. Strap his word to you like it were a pacemaker. And then put it to work. Like it was a weapon of war. This is the message to God's people.